I like to think of life as a story. We're storytellers. We're living in story-built communities. When humans gather and share life together, we form a bond. We begin writing our collective story, creating rituals, lore, eating meals, building things, sharing joy and grief. And at the center of the story, whether we know it or not, is God, the one who connects humanity's story from a speck of dust 13 billion years ago to the story we're telling right now. This is the Colosseum Podcast. We're talking Romans 3 and 4 today. Let's get into it. Episode two of the Coliseum podcast. I'm your host, Ty Revel. I'm senior assistant director at Campus to City Wesley in Jacksonville, Florida. And joining me today are my friends, Haley and Neil. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Ty? I'm good. I'm, I'm excited to dive into this conversation. I think it's going to be a, a good one. Neil, how are you feeling today? Uh, you know, pretty good. I'm uh, freshly showered and stuff, all clean, you know, doing some laundry, you know, just starting off okay. <laughs> yeah, that's always nice. I slept so well last night and it's like I've had like a stretch of poor sleep. So I'm I'm feeling good and uh, and pretty wired today. So that's awesome. Um, so also joining us this week is our special guest, Will Wold. Will is the pastor at First United Methodist Church of St. Augustine. Will, how are you? I'm good, Ty. I'm good, Ty. How are you? I'm good. I, I got the church right. I looked you up on the website. Okay. That, that is the right church. Okay, good. Um, tell us a little bit about St. Augustine and, and just sort of the context out there. So I've only been there seven months, so I'm still learning. Um, but we're right in the middle of downtown uh, of an old, we're an old church. Uh, we started in 1825, so almost 200 years old. Wow. Uh, which has its blessings and its curses uh, with a building that's from 1911. So it's a, it's a beautiful place, a beautiful city uh, where there's a ton of tourists. Uh, I think we have probably four or five people from different states visiting us every Sunday. Um, but it's just, it's full of loving people, a really fun city with good food, good drinks, and, uh, it's a really good place to serve. That's awesome. Well, I, I grew up in a church that was a similar age and, um, our, our problem was always the air conditioner. It, (laughs) it went, it went out constantly. Uh, but my, my dad was an air conditioning contractor, so we got a little bit of free labor. Nice. Well, we have, we have had four air conditioning units break since I've been there. So uh, I might need to call your dad and say, hey, we need some help. Yeah. Um, great. Well, we're glad to have you here. And today we're going to be continuing our discussion of Romans. And, and we're going through uh, Romans 3.21 through to the end of chapter 4. Um, and we're not going to read all of that, but um, we will kind of be discussing that stretch of the text. And as always, we're going to frame our discussion around three core questions, which are, what did you like? What challenged you? And where did you find a blessing in the text? So 
Will, why don't you start off and tell us what you liked about this text? Yeah, I'll confess, I really struggle with Romans and Paul in general. Uh, we'll get to that in the next question. Um, but, you know, I think the thing that I really appreciated is Paul going all the way back to Abraham. Um, sometimes when when I read the New Testament, it's, it's all about uh, Jesus, Paul, the church in Colossae, the church in Philippi. It's always focused on the present and the Christ, which it is the New Testament, the New Covenant. Um, but I really appreciated Paul writing back towards Abraham, honoring the faith that once was of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and how he recognized that that we don't we're not justified or or given credit because of of just the works that we do, but it's a part of the faith that Abraham had in the beginning, and how that kind of went through all of all of the Jewish tradition, the Christian tradition. And thinking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, all of those people from the Old Testament, I really appreciate it when Paul brings that back to the present. So I think that was the thing that I, I liked the most about this passage. Thanks, Will. Um, Haley, what what spoke out to you? Well, first of all, Will, I, um, I really appreciate just kind of that admission of how we read some of these texts, because that is a challenge for me around Romans as well. And when we talked about Romans 1, in my actual message, I read this section from Romans for Normal People, um, which is a book I've been using as we're kind of walking through the text, where it kind of talked about how um the author who had grown up hearing the Romans road his whole life, it was like, here's a verse. And then there's something, 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 and here's a verse and something, 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 and here's a verse. And so this section holds that kind of first verse that I was taught to memorize from Romans for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, so what I liked um, and what surprised me that I liked um, is that because we've been reading it in context, it hit me in such a new way, being a person who is not Jewish, that this statement was so much more welcoming and inclusive than it was exclusive. And I feel like what it was used for when I was a kid was to remind me that I wasn't all that and that I really needed God and I was missing something in my life. Um, but when I read it now and I read it in context, um, it, it starts kind of at the end of 22 where it says, for there is no distinction. And although this isn't exactly how Paul said it, what I heard in that was, the distinction of who can be justified by faith isn't the law anymore. It is the image of God that is within them and kind of taking us all the way back to Genesis of being created in the image of God and being created good. Um, so it surprised me that that's what I liked, given that um, it's right before um, a verse that I've been kind of unlearning a lot of my life, but, um, but I just, I felt really included this time. Thanks Haley. Um, Neil, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, like all of us, I also struggle with Romans and Paul in general. Um, I feel like 
I don't know. I feel like I spent like half of 2021 just like disliking Paul for whatever reason. I don't even remember if we were like even going through like, I don't even remember what we were studying that year. I just remember constantly. I was like, man, Paul and I have beef. But um, yeah, the bit that I like sort of plays off what Will was saying, how like, you know, Paul goes back to Abraham and stuff like that. I always appreciate like, you know, the references and like the connectedness, like, you know, within the Bible and whatnot, um, the bit, oh, where is it? There is one particular thing that stood out to me. I can't find it now. Uh, um, uh, oh, uh, yeah, it was a bit, the bit about, you know, the promise, you know, to Abraham and his descendants, they would, they wouldn't inherit the world through, like any kind of law or anything like that but they would inherit it instead through their righteousness and like you know through their faith and uh yeah i don't know something about that like you know like really kind of speaks to me you know that it's not it's not just a thing that's like given to you you know you, you don't just get the world right you know you have to, you kind of have to earn the world in a way and uh I don't know, something about that just kind of kind of tell you kind of speaks to me a little Thanks, Neil. Yeah, I um, I I don't really I don't know that I have like super specific opinions about Paul, um, but I know that I have read some things in in the Bible before that Paul has said, and it's just like that that challenges me a lot. Like I don't I don't know how I feel about what you're saying here, man. Um, but in like in this stretch of the text. What, what I really liked is that I felt like I was really rooting for Paul. Like, I was like, yeah, you, you know what, man, you tell him. Like, I'm, I'm behind what he has to say uh, in, this, in this passage. And, and I think, like, I'm reading him saying, basically, like, your laws are important because they are a product of, like, a really rich and nuanced history of the Jewish people. Um, but God has a relationship with other people outside of those laws too. And like, he's not indifferent to their hurt and the confusion that they're experiencing at that time. Like he's sympathetic to how they feel while also saying there's a new way there's, there are new people. Um, there are new traditions being built and that's a good thing too. I really, um, I really enjoyed um, kind of leaning into that reading of it. Um, but we're not just here to talk about what we liked about this. I think we're going to have maybe for some of us, probably for some of us, uh, a much easier time talking about what uh, made us shake our heads at this passage. So let's talk a little bit about what challenged us. Um, Neil, you want to take us there? absolutely i'm gonna address what for me is the elephant in the room of like these these particular verses which is uh romans 3 23 the verse that says all have sinned and fallen short of god's glory or the glory of god depending on whatever translation you read and having grown up in a very sort of evangelical um diet baptist world <laughs> um that verse was thrown at us uh quite a bit uh you know there's another passage where again paul he was like in this flesh no good thing dwelleth or something along those lines and you know those verses were just sort of thrown at us as children to sort of remind us it's like you know it's like you're you're like horrible you're a sinner like you know you're not inherently good and things like that you know or like uh, the c.s lewis quote 
uh, of, you know, where he said, when you start thinking you're a good person, that's how you're starting to go wrong in a way, just things like that were like thrown at us constantly to try to remind us like, you know, you have to believe in Jesus if you want to be good, but even then you'll never actually be good. And it's like, it's just not really the kinds of things you want to tell to, you know, preteens and teenagers who are still trying to figure out their way in the world and whatnot, you know? And so you're really just starting them off on the complete wrong foot of things. So at least that's how, that's how mine, that's how my upbringing was. So uh, it explains a lot. <laughs> Haley, do you want to piggyback on that? Yes. Um, Cause I think it is like a very, very fair challenge. It's it's what I expected my, my challenge to be because of, um, because I carry around so much of that same baggage. And I feel like, um, this verse can be so wielded against people, um, as like, a don't be fooled. Like you're not, um, you're not okay. Um, and I just feel like so much of my upbringing was about teaching me that I needed God, um, because of my lack and like, I don't even know if that was a lesson I needed to learn, um, because then it felt, felt really hard to understand why God would want me. So I definitely understand that Neil, um, my, it's not my challenge though. So my challenge actually, um, it might be a little bit niche. So in chapter four, verse, uh, verse 19, there was a, there's a short part I liked, and then it goes into my challenge. So he's talking about Abraham and he's saying, um, that Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead. I thought that was hilarious for he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no, dis no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Um, and I was just curious about like how fresh that story was for Paul. Um, because it sounds really good. And maybe it's like one of those things in retrospect, like we see the full story, but I felt this little bit of protective. I, I personally feel a little bit of protectiveness for Sarah in, um, this, these stories in Genesis, like 15 through 19 or well through 21, I think is when, um, Isaac's actually born, but, um, because we always hear about Sarah hearing that she's going to have a baby and her laughing and her getting called out for laughing. And why did you laugh? But in chapter 17 of Genesis 17, 17, when God tells Abraham, he's going to have a son with his wife, Sarai, because his name, uh, her name hadn't changed at that point. It says, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. So I'm not saying he didn't have like, you know, I think distrust, doubt, all of those things are probably a little bit muddy. I'm just saying that um, it reminds me of 
stories of people who are very successful in our world today. And they'll tell the story of how they grew their business with like $20 in their pocket and absolutely no help from anyone. And now they're super successful. And we all know that like, no, a lot of like things had to happen to get you to a certain place. And some of them come from privilege and that doesn't mean you didn't work hard, but there's like a lot of things going on. And so I just think about the way we remember Abraham's story as this amazing, righteous person. And then when you're actually reading Genesis and he's pretending Sarah is his sister and he's laughing and falling on his face before God and like making these missteps, I think that it gives us a fuller view of the messiness of faith um, that Paul just kind of rushes us to the end of. So that's my challenge. Thank you, Haley. I uh, I appreciate that perspective. I I really didn't connect those two um, those two versions of the story um, at all. So that's a that's a good perspective. Um, Will, what do you think? I think I kind of cited on the, the basis of Neil and that that verse of all have sinned and fallen short. And, and I hear the common theme of growing up, whether it be Baptist, non-denominational, evangelical, where it's always full about shame. And uh, I mean, growing up for me, I remember going through a book about baptism because I was already baptized three times, but I went to another church and got wanted to be baptized a fourth time. And uh, I remember this image in the book of it was me on like this plateau. And then it was God on another plateau, which was a little higher than me. And then there was this massive chasm in between and that I couldn't, I couldn't get there except by the cross and the cross is what connected the two. Um, And saying, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're a terrible, sinful human being. Um, And that image is just like haunted me for 30 years, I guess. Um, and it, it took me, it was in college that I started kind of deconstructing my faith of, well, why does it have to be that way? Um, maybe that's not the faith I want to be a part of. Um, and that verse was kind of the center point. All have sinned, fallen short. You are terrible, sinful, wretched people. You know, the amazing grace song, how uh, the wretch like me, that was kind of something I grew up with. So when I started deconstructing it, I started recognizing, okay, well, maybe that's not what I believe in. Maybe there is good. Maybe we start at Genesis 1. God created us good and called all of us very good. And But it was really easy for me to be cynical of the other side. Um, it was really easy for me to say, well, I don't need that shame stuff. I don't need to be convicted of anything. And this passage now for me, it makes me want to hold both both of them in tension, of all the atonement theories. Um, because yes, I am made good. Yes, I am created great. But there are moments in which I struggle. There are moments when I wander from the path. And when I view sin, it's not like, it's a different form of sin where I wander from the path. Um, And yeah, there are moments in which I make a mess of things. Um, So I think this passage challenged me to hold both of them in tension, the good and the parts in which we wander. So I think about, for me, I I would err on the side of I'm a good human being. But when I think about someone who is uh, is struggling with addiction and they find God in the mix of shame, and, maybe not shame, but in the mix of 
of them being them wandering from the path and recognizing that they can call go back to the path, this passage might speak to them a lot more. And I think about these different theological worlds, and I veer to one of them, but I also recognize, and the, this is where this passage challenges me, is to recognize that people experience God in different worlds at different times. And, and this passage has really challenged me to hold the faith and the works and all of that together. Um, so I think it was just challenging me on a very different level. Thanks. Well, yeah, I um, I think I, I relate to that a little bit. So, so my upbringing was like I grew up in the Methodist. Like I've always been Methodist. Um, like I, I never really had the um, the experience in church where. Uh, you know, we sang Amazing Grace, but like the, you know, the wretch part, uh, it, nobody was really ever pointing fingers at at people in the crowd or sort of casting this like, you're all a wretch, you're nothing uh, without God. That that was um, that was never really the upbringing that I that I had within church. Um, and uh, it, it was more of, you know, a God wants this relationship with you. God is seeking after you, that kind of thing. And God is meeting you where you are. Um, and I didn't, I didn't ever really have those, like, thoughts that, like, you know, God didn't, uh, you know, wasn't going to, like, wrap me up in, and keep me safe or whatever, you know, the, all those kind of good feelings. Uh, until I, oddly enough, until I got to college and there was this like very weird period of time where I was like, I think I was starting to, to, like you said, like I was starting to, um, deconstruct my, my faith. And it really led me to a period of time where I was so scared of God. And I was so scared of like going to hell. Like I had a very legitimate fear that I was going to go to hell. Um, and through, you know, years more deconstruction and, and reconstruction that, that fear has, um, left me, uh, just great. But so my, my challenge, I think in this text really didn't come from like, uh, it didn't challenge me in the way that other texts do. And I, I think that it really, for me, the biggest one was trying to find a way to relate what Paul is saying in his letter to like my life and my community today. Um, and I recently gave a talk on this particular text and that's where a lot of the challenge came from. Um, but like, there's not always a one-to-one -one parallel between the Bible and our context today. And there definitely doesn't need to be like, there is room for what is in the Bible to be a historical text and for us to read it now as a historical text um but i felt like i was looking for one when i went there uh when i went to this text and and my biggest question that i had was like if i feel represented in this text like who am i um and i i think i'll i'll, I'll get there later i'll sort of leave that on a cliffhanger but i i i felt a lot of struggle with uh, differentiating myself between the like Jewish people uh, that Paul's writing to, or like the Gentiles that he's writing about, and like wh where do I find the most common ground? Um, and to be frank, I found it in both 
in both groups in 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 a lot of ways. And um, yeah, it 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 led me to do a lot of head scratching in how I was going to talk to people about this about this text. Um, so let's move right along and talk about um, where this passage and this this two these two chapters have blessed us. Um, Haley, do you want to talk about the way that it's blessed you? Um, sure. I I feel like I'm kind of jumping all around um, these many, many verses, but there was something new to me in the way that I read um, chapter four, verse 13, about the way that we inherit um, the promise of Abraham. Um, and I feel like Paul does this really beautiful nuancey thing that is really hard for us to read because Paul is also writing in this rhetorical rhetorical style where we can get really lost in like the questions and answers and the kind of like roundabout way of making a point. Um, but you know, he he has just made this point about how um Abraham didn't receive or wasn't reckoned as righteous um, after he was circumcised, but before that circumcision actually was just like a seal or a sign of the righteousness that he had already been received, that he had already received and that we inherit through Abraham. Um, so it, for me, that was a whole different way of looking at the ways that we live out our faith um, as the signs and the seals of the promise, um, but that the actual burden of righteousness, and I think this like is a theme that started in chapter um, the end of chapter one and chapter two and is continuing now, like the burden of righteousness is on God. It's not on us. So I think about, um, uh, if we think about the story of Noah in Genesis chapter like 10 ish, um, I think it starts a little bit earlier, but, um, I didn't realize until I was in seminary that when we talk about like a rainbow, um, we're talking about an image in the sky, but people were making a connection with a rainbow to like a bow and arrow, like the type of thing you would like shoot an arrow. And the, the thing that was like, so weird about the God that's being presented in these early books in Genesis, and then other gods that are being written about for other people is that our God would have the arrow pointed up at God's self holding God accountable, that God is going to keep God's promise rather than having the arrow pointing down at us in like this image of like a Zeus with a thunderbolt, just like ready to rain down on us. That this idea of the burden of righteousness being on God and then the, the law or now um, the faith that is available to us is just ways that we um confirm it, seal it, uh, remind ourselves of it. 
I think it's why I find communion so important because it's just this constant thing we can go back to that tells us the story again and again of God's righteousness and that um, the way that righteousness has been given to us through Jesus. Um, but hearing that comparison through Abraham felt new to me. So that was my blessing. Thanks, Haley. Neil, how did you find a blessing in this text? Well, uh, you know, first I want to say I've actually, even though I have my challenges with like Paul and Romans and stuff, I actually really appreciate doing these um, because I think uh, where I am in life and at the moment is trying to, I guess, trying to find, you know, looking for the silver linings and things, you know, looking for the, you know, in these things and like, you know, people in my life who I've previously looked at as like, you know, bad or whatever, looking at it, it's like, you know, they're human just like me. And like, same thing goes with this passage. Like, yeah, there are things in this passage that, you know, have like gotten to me over the years, but I know that there is like good to be found in it. And I think something about, um, I think one of my blessings in it is because, you know, I was reading it again here and, uh, in chapter four, like, you know, verse 19, it starts talking about how Abraham, you know, was like nearly a hundred years old. And it's like his body. And in CEB, it says, took into account his own body, which was as good as dead, and Sarah's womb, which was dead. <laughs> it's like, um, but, you know, it says he didn't hesitate with a lack of faith uh, in God's promise. And that, you know, despite his body basically having given out, like his, his, his metaphorical heart, I should say. Uh, continue to be strong and in his faith, you know, with God, and, like despite everything else, you know, I mean, you know, when you live to be a hundred years old, like that's, that's rough, man. You know, <laughs> it's like when you hit, when you hit triple digits, I mean, that's uh, life ain't exactly easy anymore, but you know, no matter what, like Abraham, like never really lost faith. And that's like, you know, where that faith, like, you know, was credited to him, like his righteousness and stuff, because he never, he never lost faith, never lost hope. Like he just kept, kept on, kept keeping on, I guess, you know, and I, I always admire that kind of resilience because when things, when things are hard, when your body's breaking down, when like things around you are not going the way you want them to, it's easy to just give up and lose faith and get angry at God and, you know, whatever. Right. But Abraham didn't. And so those types of um, those kinds of stories always uh, always really poke out to me. It reminds me of this weird little like parable I read somewhere about like there was a guy who is an, an old man. It is, is his job to cut down trees like for his village. And so he would carry the logs on his back up the hill. And one day he's like, man, I'm old. I'm tired of this shit. I'm just going to put down these logs and just quit and call the death to take me. So he calls death and death is like, hey. Like, what do you need? And the old man thinks for a second. He says, I want you to help me put these logs back on my back so I can carry them up the hill. Like, even when he was, he was ready to give up. He was ready to give up, but he thought for a moment. And even as like a broken down old man who has to carry these logs up the hill with no one to help him, he was like, mm, I think I still have a bit left to live for. And so, yeah, I don't know. Stories of resilience like that always just kind of, always really just kind of, you know, get me all warm, fuzzy inside. Thanks, Neil. I never, um, I never heard that parable before, but I, I like that. I'm gonna look that up. Will? Well, if you're gonna go with a story, I'll tell you one of my favorite 
it's not even a story, it's just a saying. It was from Rabbi Akiva. And he says, any old donkey can tear down a barn, but it takes a really special one to rebuild it. Um, and for me, uh, the thing that, that this text, I think, spoke most to me, especially when I just can't stand Paul at times. He's just an old curmudgeon that thought Jesus was coming back. And when he didn't, he just got really old and angry and started writing things that he in his anger and his rage, appropriately so. So it was I, part of me really wants to just disregard it and let's rip that part out. Uh, I don't want to deal with that. But any donkey can tear it down. Uh, it takes a really special one to rebuild it. And how do we interpret the text? Um, and for me, the thing that I'm working on is, as particularly for this text is the role of faith and action, um, which is obviously a thing that we've struggled with for 2000 years of the church and Martin Luther and all of those individuals, where does faith meet works and is faith, faith without works is dead, those type of things. Um, but I think this is a challenge for me to hold both of them together. I think, I think that's the thing I'm working on in all of my life is how do we hold the tension of two things that seem to be polarizing so, I mean, Republicans, Democrats, um, you know, all of these individuals, the things that we hold so far away that we can't come together, um, I think faith in works comes together as a central core for us as Christians and for me as a Christian. And this text reminds me that faith and works can come together. Faith and action are meaningful and valuable and sacred. And uh, learning to integrate the different pieces of faith and work, of different phases of my own life, of my evangelical background, with my Methodism background as I experienced in college, with my Presbyterian frozen chosen background in high school, to my atheism in middle school, all of that, holding it all together and integrating it well and seeing the good in all of it, and also recognizing the shadow side in all of it. That's what this text reminded me of, of faith and works holding them together um, and not be polarizing. Uh, that for me was, is a blessing and a, and a constant thing that I'm reminded of each and every day. Thank you, Will. Um, I think for me, as I was trying to figure out a way to talk about this last week, um, I went to the idea of the tabernacle, um, this big tent that holds God, um, and how that that thing, that idea, had was surrounded by so many, um, so many laws, so many um, rituals, so many. Um, specific little details that had to be accomplished in the right order or um, together in unison to be able to like worship God well. Um, and this, this tabernacle idea carries from, you know, the, from the desert all the way to Solomon's temple and the veil that separates God from humanity is ripped in twain when Jesus dies on the cross. And ultimately I felt that that was what Paul was talking about here. Um, and I just really felt so encouraged 
by this thing that I already knew, but just reading it again and thinking about it again. Um, th- this, this idea that like God doesn't fit into a box. God doesn't fit into a tent. Um, God doesn't fit behind um, human laws and rituals. Like those are things that we do in order to find a way to worship God uh, with a limited understanding of what God is and who God is. But ultimately, I think that there there isn't really a right or a wrong way to worship God other than loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. This has been episode two of the Coliseum podcast. Thank you to Haley and Neil and Will for the conversation this week. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Talk to you then.